0: I'm an optimistic person so even I believe that as a woman in tech there are barriers that I faced but I believe that if you are a competent person no matter what they will they will see your value.
1: Welcome to The Wagon Live. In today's episode we have Sude Faroki, a visionary technology entrepreneur and the founder and chief technology officer of C2RO, an award-winning software startup in Montreal, Canada. C2RO has developed a proprietary global machine vision platform that offers end-to-end enterprise software solutions. She has a PhD in computer science and was selected among the top 750 digital IT innovators of the world and the top young entrepreneur in Quebec in 2018. We talked about how she built her team around her vision and how her startup evolved through the years to fit the market needs.
0: Hi, everyone. And thanks a lot, Levagon, for inviting me. It's a, it's a pleasure. So, um, I'm Sude, um, 34 years old. I don't mind sharing my year. And I'm the, um, uh, entrepreneur. I took entrepreneurs, my second startup that I launched, uh, C2RO. I actually, my short, um, journey is that I'm, um, my background is software engineering. I'm from Iran. I did my master and, um, bachelor in Iran. I worked in telecommunication domain for um, five years. It started from uh, a tester, software analyst, and then a product manager. And then I left the company. I started to build my first startup that was in the area of uh, business uh, automating business processes in Iran. That was actually kind of still there, so it, it was a nice service company. And then I decided to do my PhD in cloud computing, computer science. I moved to Europe, Vienna. Uh, had to learn a little bit of, uh, sorry, German. And then, um, because I had my first startup, I knew that I'm an entrepreneur by heart. So it was just like kind of learning the technology that I'm excited to launch the company at. And then I found a good investor here in Montreal in 2016. And after my graduation, I moved to Montreal and launched my startup at C2RO. And, um, it has been almost four years and it's a very exciting journey. And uh, I think I can share some of the uh, lesson learned today and hopefully you'll um, find it interesting.
2: Sure. Uh, thank you. And in three words, if you have to define C2RO, mm-hmm. how can you? Three words.
0: Sure. Well, three words. Three. Uh, so <laughs> it's an enterprise um, SaaS uh, offering. Uh, it's an... Um, computer vision AI uh, product that we are building and it's an innovative startup so if you want to like three phrases I used.
2: Okay (laughs) we'll let you go with that. Okay so let's move a little bit into the beginnings of C2RO. How did you get the idea?
0: So um, uh, C2RO had uh pivot uh, like one and a half year ago. So it's like the beginning, the name is c Cloud Robotics, it was all about cloud robotics. That's why you might get some kind of changing of the direction, you might feel it. In the beginning, uh, when I was actually doing my PhD, I was building a software controller for cloud applications that you can deploy on the cloud, and then the controller was helping application that based on the real-time load. Uh, can uh, actually either scale up or scale down based on the resources that they might need. So it was kind of, I was using some robotics technique in uh, managing and writing that controller code in order to automate the, uh, the resource allocation to the application. Because if you leave it to cloud providers, they don't mind give over allocate resources because they're gonna, you're gonna pay for that. So it was like the idea was more performance based allocation. That is like the totally different story. But I got to know more about robotics at that time. And then I actually believe that cloud is also like it's still like a future technology that you need to uh, know and you need to kind of build the companies based on based on that. So the idea was like cloud robotics in my mind. And then I started to And when, when I was thinking about what would be a good company, um, data driven company, definitely using cloud, artificial intelligence. So these kind of concepts were all around me. And then I started to look for cloud robotics concept that was, so you connect the very devices that have limitation in terms of processing to a big brain in a way. And then you give them the abilities that they would need without adding any extra. Uh, cost to the device or any extra, you know, maybe very expensive GPUs. That was the ideation. And then when I talk with investors, especially the one in Montreal, they said, well, that's a good idea. But there is, we are not in that space and we don't understand what you are saying. But based on the the conversation that we have, you seems to be a very good entrepreneur. So we would invest in you no matter what and no matter which topic. So that was like kind of the trust. And then I moved here and they invested actually half a million on that ideation and with getting like portion of the company and and so forth. And that was the starting point. And for that start, actually, they forced it, not forced, but one of their idea is that you needed to have a jump start in a startup Rather than starting from zero. So I started to find a technology that actually helped me to have that jump start and helped me to build my stack on top of that instead of starting from zero. And I could collaborate with Indiana University and I acquired the uh, real time stream data processing technology. It was like a framework full of all of the components, uh, message queue, everything that you would need for a starting. And that was actually the starting point of that company's of C2RO. And then we were adding the devices to that platform that was a cloud-based platform. And then based on the messages that they were sending and because it was real-time processing in the order of less than 50 milliseconds processing time, we could get back the result to robot at near real-time or almost real-time. That was the initial idea and the initial vision that we had the company.
2: And do you think that it was an answer to a market need or it was pretty what you wanted to do mm-hmm. like okay the investors invested in you but um since uh, the beginning of uh, this idea have you like uh, thought of uh, of an answer to a market need with your uh, company
0: mm-hmm. nice nice question well now that i'm looking back uh, very honest with myself to like four years ago, I would say no, it wasn't like a pain that I recognized. And then I said, okay, I have a painkiller. I actually checked that the market of robotics is booming. And then it's very interesting, mainly in the software part rather than hardware, because hardware gonna be like, the same for every single robot like that that they can build but then some things that's kind of differentiate the the ability of them is the software layer and that is the things that i actually check the market saw what's the trends and then building that uh, cloud-based like brain was something that was kind of helping for that uh, trends i would say but it wasn't like something's missing and it was like Finding this uh, painkiller, so that's like uh, to solve to solve that pain.
2: Okay, okay. If we have to go back to what we, you said in the beginning, so the the, the result of c 2 ro is is something based on what uh, you 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 really loved doing, and uh, so you've been in the research field. Mm-hmm. Does it? Uh, do you miss it? And uh, or the c 2 ro journey is uh, fulfilling you uh, in every uh, in every single. Uh,
0: that's Wayne. a great question. Um well, I don't consider myself as an academia person. I even for my PhD that usually you can build everything in simulation, you can just run your uh, like all of the analysis in really simulated data. I decided not to go on that path. I decided to really work with real time uh, with, with real Um, data set with real workload with real applications like setting up virtual machines everywhere in real world it was a pain so I was like getting I was writing papers and idea for let's say two months and then the, the next like four months I was getting the result in a real world setup it's like pretty hard so it was but then the quality of the papers that i was writing was really in different levels because it wasn't simulation simulation is like you can do everything you can change everything it's like all control environment so from even in my academia kind of world i'm not a theoretical person and i probably i would say don't enjoy working like more theoretical things i'm a very practical person i would like to build something and see it in in real world and see the use of it that was actually what i was missing in our in my first company that was a service company so we were kind of building everything for people and i was not owning anything that i've built because like it was service and you needed to deliver to, to different people so that that part of building something it's it's every day of my life here at Situaro. i don't i don't you know miss it in terms of the being innovative like reading about the state of the art still because C2R is a very innovative company right now and we have to have solutions that is not out there and we need to actually see the state of the art and even go further to make them in real world and it's super hard we are still have that innovation kind of portion of me that is uh, that's very active so i would say no i'm not missing anything in in research world so still okay. i have a lot of kind of opinion about how we can make the research better in, in academia, but it's again, like kind of different, different topic.
2: So you don't see yourself going back to the research field uh, right no, now. Even okay. my,
0: my PhD was like a transition for me to get yeah. to that technology that I want to build my startup.
2: That's cool. Okay. Um, a more sweet question and all sci-fi uh, movies, Hollywood presents us with a dark vision of the future <laughs> with all these robots taking over humanity. But we have, we've, but uh, we've um, we are with that uh, think of the future is going to be better than what we think. That's what what you said. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Can you tell us more about your vision of that future? Is it the Hollywood uh, vision or?
0: <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I believe media would just want to kind of attract more people and more attention. So whenever it's uh, somewhere that people will be more, you know, uh, kind of attracted to that media, they they will they promote it. So it's not the reality, it's not the factual things that's happening. So, but I'm also a very optimistic person. Depends on you know, like even if you start talking with different scientists or different, I know entrepreneurs, people have different mindsets. So I'm very optimistic overall. And yes, definitely, I believe that the future will be better than what we think because we are the ones building the future. And I, as an optimistic person, I think we. We are building a better one. To me, uh, we are not competing with technologies. We are not, let's say AI or, or robots. We are not competing with them. We need to kind of use them as a tool that they are empowering us. So it's different mindset. And if we start looking at them like this, it's not that we start banning them uh, all over and like kind of trying to uh, scare um, because they will replace us. If they are replacing us in works that they are better at, well, we need to let them do that. Like they have replaced us in farms years ago and we were not happy at that time, I'm sure. But then it's like 100 and 200 years. And uh, now we'll see that, wow, it's best that we are not working at farms anymore We because we went to uh, actually work with machines in factories. We, we, you know, trying to build a lot of exciting things that we could have not find the time for that because we were so busy in the farm. So it's like a, I think it's just the mindset change that we need to see, and we we kind of collaborate with them, and uh, putting regulations around how powerful they can get and what would be their kind of boundaries. That's something that we need to do. Even for humans, we need to put regulations around. So AI, it's something similar, I would say, or, or robotics. But robotics without the AI as a brain, it's still like a hardware. So I would believe that ai is the main thing that we need to put regulations around and just use it as a tool and try to kind of work with that not
2: so they won't take over the humanity it. <laughs> okay well,
0: if it, if they get it's uh, again like our our biological mind probably it's weak and it's like why not let let them let them do that in, in the future sure.
2: <laughs> okay so you tell us also that at the beginning your company was using robots Mm-hmm. And uh, now you are more using cameras.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Why that choice?
0: Yeah, well, the company had a interesting pivot. I would I would say, and now I say it easily now. But I was as a founder, I was like trying to refuse to say that we had a pivot. Whoever was asking me like, did you really pivot? I was like, no, that's not pivot. I just changed the device. Like it was a pivot. <laughs> so I'm like now I'm fine to talk about it, and um, so. In the beginning, as I said, the technology stack was a real-time stream processing kind of uh, platform in the cloud that you can connect devices that mainly it was more uh, service robots, the ones that you would see in hospitality use case, the one that you see helping elderly, the one that can be like companion robots at home, this type of robots. And then um, we got to the point that the feedback that we were getting from the market, like to say customers, they were saying that we love the technology and we love the software that you are putting in in those robots because the robots are not doing that much. So they put it in a restaurant, they are like gimmick, they attract some customers, but then at the end of the day, they are not doing any useful thing. And then with what we were offering on top of them uh, was like more giving them computer vision abilities like object recognition, facial recognition, even uh, visual indoor mapping, because indoor, the GPS doesn't work, so they had hard time for navigating. So it was all useful, uh, like SaaS solutions that they could get without um, any change on the robot itself. But the market wasn't ready. It still is not ready. The robotics market is emerging. So we were... We were telling our customers that if you want to buy this SaaS, that is pay-as-you-go, first you need to buy a 15,000 robot, and then you need to start using our software that's like pretty cheap because it's a SaaS solution. And that was when when we were getting to the time that they needed to commit some money, nobody was committing money. And that is very interesting in a startup. You You should not... Do anything by free for any customer because everybody loves your solution before they come in to pay something and that's again like one of the lessons that I learned and also I was like kind of warned by advisors so I learned it very fast in the beginning and then well we the reality was that okay the we are kind of device agnostic we just need the camera of a device and the connectivity to the internet. So why not cameras that are everywhere? So it's like the cameras can connect to, to Wi-Fi or they can connect to, let's say, an edge device there and then the edge can connect to the cloud. And then that's everything that we want without any hardware barrier to, to the market. So, and it's like we are getting a great traction afterwards and it's just like we, we, close a big barrier that we had and uh, it's just um, it's much easier for us to talk about the software now they don't need to buy the hardware the hardware is everywhere already installed
2: so let's focus on a, on your company how is your team organized mm-hmm.
0: so mm-hmm. you mean like a structure or um, their...
2: like how many employees how mm-hmm. are you organized if there are different departments mm-hmm.
0: sure so we are right now 20 people so it's uh it's very interesting because like when I return back, to think about like having one, two, three, four, like it's, it's 20 are like a lot of people. So it's, it's, um, I'm proud of the team in particular. So the, um, majority, I would say, um, more than half are, are technical people in the, um, uh, research engineer side and development side. Um, we used to have two different teams, like R and D team and, and dev team. And based on our best practice, actually, we try, now we merge the team. So we have one team that is more like a product team, building the product, because it doesn't make sense if you have a research team that do some research, and then you cannot, especially in a startup, you cannot use that research in a product. So we everything is like from day first, it needs to be part of the product, so it's a product team. We have a VP of engineering that manage both teams. So I used to do—I I used to lead the R&D team as a as a CTO first. But then the team now grows, and then I have a lot of other stuff. So that's VP of eng is taking care of all. Then um, CEO, CTO, CFO, and like these are the normal role, uh, VP of operation. We have a data protection officer. That that's a totally new new story that probably we can we can touch it. So it's about the data privacy regulations. And um, we have the business people, so marketing team um, um business development team that are more regional. That's also another point that I would like probably to to talk about it a little bit. And um, yeah, that's all. So mainly, the, as I said, like majority of people are are technical people, either uh, developers or or like research engineers.
2: Okay, two questions on on this. Um, since you, you've seen your startup growing, mm-hmm. um, is the decision uh, take, the decisions still made the same way it was uh, it was uh, taken at the beginning of the startup or uh, with this organization uh, you you're, you're, you're sensing like you're losing the, the decision?
0: Mm-hmm. Well n- not that feeling. So first of all, I hired my own boss, so I hired the CEO. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice story, but it's like I I wanted to always build a big pie and have a portion, small portion of it. So I wanted to have someone that has a lot of experience with fundraising, with building the product, leading the big team. So um, I, I'm not afraid of uh, like losing my my power because. If you believe, if you are secure yourself and you believe that you have a very good contribution in the in the company, no matter how many uh, employees you have, no matter how many hierarchies are uh, above you or under you, it's like you will bring something new to the company. And if it gets to the point that you are not bringing that, uh, well, it's better for for your company to you replace yourself, right? So it's not. I I never. Think about it. Even I had a portion of my work um, that actually I had the maternity leave. And that was the portion that I actually really delegate. needed to delegate everything. And I had some moments that I was like thinking, okay, so you're delegating everything. You're training the whole team. But I saw it as like, I am empowering people who are actually helping the company to grow. And that's like, it's not my own company, it's our company. So if you look at this, this way well you like to empower everyone and you like to build leaders that like kind of taking some part of your job and do it better in a in a better way so still there are a lot of decisions that uh, um, me and the ceo will take in terms of more Kind of strategic decisions, but it's not that. It's like it's based on authorization. We even discuss it with the whole team. Still, we have like a family setup. I would say we get together often. We discuss about like really serious um, decisions. But at the end of the day, it's uh, me and the CEO to 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 make those decisions. And uh, when we hire, let's say, another executive, definitely so many hats we can kind of really offer to him or her and that they can take care of uh, sure. good decision making. So it's, uh, it's all good to delegate.
2: Okay, so uh, for the technical teams, um, what is the coding language you your technical teams use and do you code you mm-hmm. by yourself?
0: Um, so um, in the beginning we were very focused on Java and JavaScript. And then um, recently we are very focused on Python actually mainly that um, research engineers uh, because like uh, the product that we'll probably discuss it is very heavily on computer vision and machine learning and there are a lot of like our our ai engine is actually in in python and um, i well in the beginning of c2ro i was also kind of hands-on Doing the deployment in the cloud, uh, writing um, scripts, or even some part of the programs. But right now, I have really no bandwidth of, of coding, because just I'm like I'm doing a lot of things in the business side, fundraising, you know, business development, um, closing customer sales, and 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 you know, like technology is definitely part of it, but. It's uh, well, I, I I definitely have a lot of expert in the team that they are much better. I'm not a coder, so I won't call myself a, a, a coder. So
2: so how you, how is your day organized? Or... Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, my recent days, like in the sense of I like, say the setup of 2019, it's that I'm very more external focused than internal focused. I used to be very internal in the beginning, as I said, more very involved in the research, very involved in the even. Uh, I had the architecture hat, and I was like the one even leading the whole dev team as well. Uh, but now that the focus of the company and the the way the portion of the company that needs the more attention is the uh, customer and closing customers and actually um, finding new customers and strategic partners. Uh, as a founder, wherever it's like you, you need it the most, you need to be there. So I kind of wear that hat, and my my. Mostly, my day is uh, really a strategic partnership calls, you know, with you know Google of the world, Microsoft of the world, all of the telecommunication um, partners. So it's like really big guys and customers, investors as well. Depends on the time of the year that you either you are fundraising or you are under the due diligence process of the previous investors. So a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings. I try to really manage the meetings. So I'm also leading the marketing and uh, like. Branding the company as well and the technology roadmap the technology vision if uh, also I have a big hat of product as well that I'm you know um, working with our VP of engineering for for the product so yeah it's like a combination of hats that I that I need to wear every day
2: that's a go- cool life <laughs> so a fast question answer to, to have okay. a quick brief are you Windows or Mac OS <laughs>
0: I'm Windows and I'm Chrome. I would say I, I have everything in, 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 in internet. So I, I don't miss any platform. I'm just, uh, open a browser and I have everything. So,
2: okay. Okay. Uh, not satisfied.
0: <laughs> I'm dis- not satisfied I with this. I disappointed you, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Apple iPhone or Samsung galaxy.
0: <laughs> Apple. <laughs>
2: okay, cool. iOS, Android, iOS, iOS. Yes. Well. Thanks. Cool. I,
0: switched, I switched like two years ago and I'm like happy. So,
2: <laughs> Cool choice. You, you will move to the MacBook very soon. <laughs> okay, and one book that you've read more than once and that is a favorite read and did it, did it inspire you in your life and in your career?
0: Mm. Well, um, I have two ones that are actually very good, especially for female uh, tech people. That one is the um, uh, Lean In by Shel Sandberg, that I think everybody should read it, not just female, uh, but uh, that particularly as a, as a woman in tech, I think you have to read it. And another one is actually very focused on, on women. It's, um, nice girls don't get the corner office. And that's something that's very interesting and change my, actually a lot of aspects of my professional life. That is a lot about unconscious mistakes that women do. At the workplace, and they are not aware of. And it's uh, to me, if I want to give really two books to everyone, even I, I would, I have read them, not read them, I've listened them. So I'm an audio person, audio book person. So I've like listened to it like maybe five times, I would say, really, yeah. So it's uh, it's a must. Okay. For women in tech.
2: So since you you're talking about uh, women, power women and all this, have you faced any barriers while founding your startup as a Persian woman?
0: Well, uh, I don't want to talk about the nationality because it doesn't matter at the end, I would say, especially here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So but as a woman, uh, as a woman in tech, I'm a positive I'm an optimistic person a positive person so even I believe that there are barriers that I faced. But I consider the positive side of them that, for example, when I say that I'm a CTO of a tech company, everybody remembers me. So that's like a good, good, uh, positive thing about it, right? So it's, uh, I, I try to think about it like this, but yes, it has been occasions that as a, especially probably I would say young woman, uh, you won't, um, consider seriously, you won't, you won't kind of, they might, Be question on your technical ability, on questions on your, I know if you are like a C level of the company, of your executive um, abilities. But I believe that if you are a competent person and if you have, uh, like really good contribution, no matter what, they will, they will see your value in the culture of our company. We are gender blind from day first because I hired my CEO and I was like talking with them during an interview four hours and like a couple of meetings to be sure that this person is gender blind. Otherwise how on earth I can I can work with that? Because I have interviewed people and then at the end they said, well by the way, so the you're totally fine with working with women. I said, Wow, well, okay, that that word, that that you see me as a woman and you are kinda of saying that, it shows that you're not fine or you are seeing like people in different kind of gender. So Um, Yeah, I would say like high level, yes, in terms of the investors, in terms of not really customers, but in terms of, uh, you know, um, maybe hiring very high level, like C-level and executive that I usually hire them. And in the beginning, they might have some strange reactions, but that's part of the interview. So if they are like this, we don't hire them. So um, the culture of the company is that, well, they are all totally fine with me as a founder and being like a technology person in the company. And in our company, we have no issue, I would say. And I'm proud to say that. Uh, But in terms of like uh, external communication, you will get that. And you try to, again, like consider the positive side and make that one big and just kind of show that you are a competent person and that person, I think, will change his opinion or her, or, her, or her opinion. It might be both genders.
2: Okay, I have two last questions. Uh, so, which one will I choose? I would what actually advice? like
0: to talk about that yeah, product that we have right now, because I didn't, but it might be very interesting for, for, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, right now, actually, what we offer at C2RO, named C2RO Perceive, and um, it's the Google Analytics for the Physical world. So it's, uh, we anonymously using cameras, reusing cameras, we anonymously, uh, analyze the visitor journeys in a physical facility. That's right now we are focused on retail and shopping mall sector. But like, imagine that you go to a shopping mall and, Anonymously without any individual journey uh, follow up, they will get the information about the traffic based on the gender and age, like demographic analytics, and also based on the social context. Are you alone? Are you in like a group setup? Where you go in like, what would be the sequence of the stores you took? Or well, if you go to a store, did you try something? Did you buy at the end because you went to the point of sale system, or did you go to that particular section in the store? And those All of this journey information gives a very good comprehensive view of the visitors of that, uh, let's say, shopping mall or, or retailers so that they can customize and they can personalize the experience for you. So nowadays... We go for more experience and like social interaction rather than buying a product because otherwise much easier for me to like kind of lay down in my sofa and like click on some things to buy from Amazon. But when I go and have a very good experience in this store, I would love to return back. I would like to be part of that community. So we are helping them in order to give the experience, very good experience to their customers and visitors so that they can increase the traffic. They can bring up like a community and social interaction with their visitors. And that is all about uh, C2R Perceive. And we offer it per camera, it's a SaaS and, uh, business. So it's a software user reusing the existing camera and it's uh, compliant with GDPR and data privacy regulations. That's why I said like we have a DPO, data protection officer uh, in place as well as a company. And,
2: and do you have any competitors on this sector, on this, on this market?
0: Well, of course, because if, that's also another lesson learned. If you don't have any competitor, probably the idea is not a good idea. So it's uh, don't say, well, I'm the only one. No, we have, but the differentiators of our technology is that first of all, we have a very comprehensive journey so we can connect people from one camera to the next without using facial information or any biometric information. That's the IP of the company. This is very valuable. And that's why we can give the full journey even without, if. If you consider the cameras don't have any overlap, we can still do that. That's 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 the big differentiator between us and the uh, competitors because they usually do the tracking. So you, they track you from this camera to the next. But if there is a gap, that for example there is a shopping mall and you go to one store and when you return back you are totally a new person. But for us we can reconnect during 24 hours because we don't store any biometric. We don't realize we don't re-identify you the next day but for that day we have that journey by demographic class that's very valuable and also we reuse the existing camera so we try to make our ai models very robust against different situations different lighting different noises different angles different heights and everything so that we don't have to reinstall cameras that are good for that like kind of resolution that are good for that angle or that height so we try to make them the software strong so that it can actually be robust with different devices. So this, and also being compliant with GDPR while you are offering that journey, this three combination, it's very unique in the market. That's why we are now deploying in, I would say, the one of the biggest mall in Europe. We have done that here in Canada, so it's like we have tier one customers everywhere in the world because data privacy is not our barrier anymore. Mm-hmm.
2: And how do you see yourself and your company short term and in five years?
0: Good question. So short term, I think we have a lot of, as I said, tier one customers and tier one potential partners. So short term, I think, and now that we are in retail market, we will have a very good chance to be one of the key technology providers in the sector. Mm-hmm. Long term is that retail is not the market for us, the only market for us, so we are envisioning going to a smart cities, uh, you know, like we have a smart transportation. Uh, uh, even kind of um, award that we recently got from STM here in, in Montreal. So this market of visual IoT and a smart cities would be a great market for us and our solution because, again, like reusing cameras, we have the technology stack the same, but like offering computer vision solutions that that fits great in that those markets. I, I would say it's like a more three, five years uh, vision of the company.
2: Is it the exact same thing that's going on nowadays with, in China with the uh, with the visual recognition in the well, smart no, city? Not,
0: no, I'm not talking about the facial recognition because if we don't do the facial recognition. That's like for security purpose or authentication. That's not part of our uh, roadmap. But it's more, I would say, giving uh, the uh, insight to like, either businesses or... Uh, physical facilities in order to be able to efficiently kind of do their business or improve the quality of life of people that's the mission of the company in long term
2: okay final question what advice would you give to future entrepreneurs in the room
0: well uh, i would say entrepreneurship is pretty hard honestly so be be ready for that journey it's very rewarding. It's like your every day, you have so many stories to talk about. Like uh, my husband work in a great software company. So he's a very senior um, developer. And then when we talk about our day, like I have hours of talking from one day of work. And while well, he has like a short story about what happened. So it's like every day, there's like a totally new story. And that is rewarding because it's like very interesting. It's not boring. You learn a lot of things. You touch a lot of aspects of, the things that you are, it's not in your comfort zone. So you will be in front of the investors. You will be questioned about so many things about, uh, I know, your product. And you will be criticized by customers. You will uh, deal with like challenges that you cannot solve. Like so many aspects of, of the entrepreneurship is interesting. But also you need to be the person for that. So I think it's also a little bit uh, return back to you. And you need to be... Knowing yourself well, because let's say I started the company with, with my co-founder, great person. But after a few months, well, the person mentioned that I'm not an entrepreneur. It's super hard. It's super stressful for me. And it's not um, like my life is not sustainable. I, so I cannot live like this. And the person quit. So it's, it was like a shock for me. And then I was like a sole founder for, for the whole company. Um, but to me, again, like it's very hard. You will get disappointed a lot of times, especially in the beginning when you are doing the product market fit exercise. It's super painful because you are so excited about some things that people don't like to buy. Or uh, let's like say, for example, the robotics idea for me was like, wow, it's so cool. And I was thinking that everybody gonna loves it and everybody going to going to use it but nobody wanted to pay so it was so painful for you as a founder and like a person has that vision to hear that and you kind of deal with that but um, when we get to the point right now that we have our product market fit done and we build a product that customer uh, needs and they are using it it's it's a great stage but you get much more busier like they are like again every Single stage of the company, you think, well, okay, I have learned a lot and that's like the stage that I feel comfortable staying there as your comfort zone is like the next day you'll get something that is out of your comfort zone. So to me, find your vision if you believe that you will be the person like the entrepreneur person and an entrepreneur that's again like can handle uncertainty, that can handle a lot of pressure in a sense of uh, really not knowing your even sometimes your next week, what will happen? Can you get the funding? Can you do? You, do you need to pivot? Do you need to start like, I don't know building another business model? Like so many questions that are very uncertain. You need to be fine with that uncertainty. That was the biggest, the the hardest one, I think, in my view. The uncertainty is so huge you can't believe it. in a In a company when you work, you don't think about so many decisions that that the upper layer is, is taking especially as a start if it's a startup that you don't see all of this uncertainty but when you are the one to go ahead and like explore the path that uncertainty might kind of kill your motivation so again if you believe that you are an entrepreneur and you have a vision start talking about it People won't steal your idea. If they steal your idea, let them do that because that's like they are super smart. If you like, they kind of steal your idea and build something. So don't be afraid of talking about your ideas. Talk with people, get the feedback, be honest with yourself. And having a good co-founder matters can change your life, but it's like, don't hire people for uh, their skill set. You can hire a skill set later on. Hire a person that is like a, it's not like, it's like kind of marriage. So because you will be with that person more than I think really at, at, at home with your, with your spouse. So try to find someone that can have the same mindset with you as a, as a co-founder. And uh, just like, again, like find that topic that people want and then start pushing on that. And then be honest with the market feedback, be honest with your team, And build a great team around it. That's, I think, the key factors for being successful in the entrepreneurship journey. But it's a tough journey, as I said.
1: Thanks for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button.